title this morning is No Church Member Left Behind. No church member left behind. Or now I can say no family member left behind. Frank said something last week, and yes, we did enjoy that so much last week. Frank said something last week that jolted me, and I couldn't shake it. It just stayed with me all week. It was new information, and it really just gripped me at my core when he talked about the suicide rate among the elderly population. And I was shocked, I didn't know this, when he said the highest rates of suicide are among our elderly. And so I had to go and look that up. Not that I didn't trust Frank, but I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, I just wanted to see for myself. And so sure enough, I read that statistics from the National Council on Aging state that those 85 years and older have the highest suicide rate of any group. Wow. It is over four times higher than the nation's overall rate of suicide, which is already way too high and has only skyrocketed since the pandemic. The National Institute on Aging says that social isolation and loneliness have been linked to higher risks of high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's disease, and even death. All because of social isolation and loneliness. This is not good. And my question for us this morning, dear church, dear wonderful family, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? There are so many scriptures, I looked it up, over a hundred, in fact, scriptures and God's word that speak of honoring the mature among us. Proverbs speaks of gray hair being splendor and those with gray hair being full of wisdom. And yet, this is the most overlooked segment of society. They're the forgotten, the invisible, and yet they have probably, I believe, not even probably, the most to offer us. I mean it, the most to offer us. Peter... You know, if, you, if you've read the Gospels and you've read the life of Peter, nobody loved Jesus like Peter did. At least nobody expressed their love for Jesus more than Peter. On more than one occasion, Peter expressed his undying devotion and adoration for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you, John 13, 37. Oh, Lord, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Matthew 26, 33. Dear, dear Peter. (laughs) We know what happens to Peter eventually. And we know that the Lord restored him. But I want to take us to this passage, this dialogue between Jesus and Peter in John 21, starting in verse 15. I'm reading from the New King James Version. John 21, 15. Jesus has risen 
and they're having breakfast on the seashore. It's my favorite setting, I think, in all of the Gospels because I love the ocean and I love seafood. And I love a good campfire. Every time I read this passage, I'm just right there. And it's like, ah, I'm in my element. This is where I was made to be, <laughs> by the ocean, eating fresh fish with Jesus and a campfire. And so it says in John 21, verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now I gave you the backdrop of Simon. I, I told you on purpose what we know about Peter. He has more than once expressed, he's the one that's the, really the only one I think that ha has been recorded as expressing his undying love for Jesus, right? And so Jesus knows this. That's, it's important to understand this context. This is the context. Jesus has heard this from Peter more than once. I love you. I will never forsake you. I'll lay down my life for you. So when they had eaten breakfast, John 21, 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he's speaking about more than the others sitting here with us. Like, I've heard what you've said, Peter. I know what you've said, but Peter, do you in fact really love me more than the rest? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Haven't I been saying that? Don't you remember, Jesus? You already know I love you. I've told you many times. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, son of Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I'm wondering if in this phrase when Peter says, you know all things, I wonder if Peter is starting to realize, maybe I don't know myself like I think I do. <laughs> maybe I've missed something huge. Like, maybe it's possible that I could have actually even missed the point in some way. Jesus, you know all things. You know what I don't know about myself. You know what I'm missing. You know my heart, Jesus. But you know that I love you. I mean, I think I do. I've said that. Jesus said to him again, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, if you say you love me, this is how I want you to prove what you're saying. This is how I want you to show me that you mean it, Peter. Take care of the vulnerable among you. Lambs are helpless and vulnerable. And sheep, are mature lambs. <laughs> They're the mature ones. This is one application of this lambs and sheep. I mean, you can use this to talk about children or, or whatever, or those who are young in the faith. 
But the point is, Peter, you've said you love me. If you love me, show me by taking care of, feeding, and tending to the helpless and the mature among you. Lambs and sheep. If, if these words are for Peter, then they're for you and they're for me. Jesus' words are for everyone. I want to take you to another passage. It's in Luke 14, starting with verse 1. Luke 14, 1. Jesus has been invited to the home of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. This guy's a big deal. He's up there in status, a ruler of the Pharisees. And he has become impressed with this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi, the son of the carpenter Joseph. He's impressed by what he's heard about Jesus, so he wants to hear more up close and personal. So he invites Jesus into his home, this ruler of the Pharisees. That's a leader in the church and the synagogue a ruler. He's got status, this guy. So Luke 14, 1 tells us, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. And it goes on to say, I believe in verse 7, he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, in ancient times, when you would go and you were invited to dinner, and they still do this in ancient cultures today, and Eastern cultures today, you sit around the table, you sit around the meal according to your social status, your social standing. So you have the master of the house who's at the best seat, and then you are seated in order of descending status, getting farther away from the master of the house. So, but in this scenario, people are choosing for themselves where they're going to sit, and probably, I'm guessing, maybe Jesus had a seat next to the ruler of the Pharisees, the master of the house. And Jesus is sitting there observing as everyone is taking a seat around the dinner table, and he's observing that everybody wants the best seat. Everyone is trying to elevate themselves to a higher place. Everyone is thinking only of himself or herself. And Jesus takes note of this. It says, when he noted how they chose the best places, he said to them, and then we move to verse uh, 12, Luke 14, 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, He's talking to the master of the house now, this ruler of the Pharisees. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. You can imagine how this ruler of the Pharisees, who's put on this elaborate feast for the rabbi and for his friends, and Jesus turns to him and says, hey, from now on, when you host a dinner at your house, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. He's telling this guy this right in front of everyone. 
And then he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed. And notice he says, because they cannot repay you. He doesn't say, even though they can't repay you, you will be blessed. He actually says, because they cannot repay you, or since they cannot repay you, you will be blessed because of that. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This guy thinks he's having this rabbi over for dinner to give him some great wisdom. And yes, Jesus does. From now on, when you host your dinner parties, invite those who can't pay you back. Invite the people that you wouldn't first think of, in fact, you'd probably never think of, to spend time with and reach out to, to sit down at a meal with. And he names them, the poor, the maimed, the, bl- the lame, and the blind. In other words, invite those who cannot repay you financially, socially, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. See, every one of us, you and I, right now have people in our lives, maybe they're in your neighborhood or in your workplace, in your church, who cannot repay you in some form or fashion. And that's why it's so easy for me, and it's so easy for us to leave them uninvited into our time, into our space, into our days, into our lives. Because there's no payback. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're too frail physically to, to serve up a meal, to do much in return besides thank you. Thank you so much. Maybe, maybe there's not enough interest, the similar interest. Maybe they don't read the same books you read. Or maybe they don't even read. I mean, we all have people in our lives who are spiritually poor, maimed, lame, and blind, who may not see eye to eye like we do on the big issues. So there will be no discussion about things that really matter. It's a sacrifice. And yet Jesus said, if you love me, if you say you love me, feed the lambs, tend the sheep. Lambs and sheep don't give back a whole lot. They're helpless. They're frail. They are weak oftentimes. And yet Jesus is saying, just because of that very thing, their inability to give back to you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I don't know what that reward looks like. But it's got to be something beyond our ability to even comprehend. It's got to be something beyond my wildest imagination. This repayment, this reward for tending lambs, tending sheep, and feeding lambs. And yet, here's the thing I have found in my life, and I think some of you know this. Every single time, 10 times out of 10, there is repayment now. There is some form of payback right now. At the very least, this amazing fulfillment of joy in my heart that immediately comes as a result of simple, sacrificial obedience. Yes, Lord, I will be faithful to tend to those who are forgotten 
and invisible and alone and lonely and isolated and spiritually poor, blind, maimed, and lame. Where there's not a lot of payback because for whatever reason, whatever kind of limitation, there may not be a lot in it for me. And I have found that every single time, the payback is immediate. I have found that to be true. Have you? Have you found that? Yeah. One of my favorite authors is Eugene Peterson, and he doesn't know it, but he's one of my pastoring mentors. <laughs> I can't wait to have coffee with him in heaven. And one of my reference books that I return to time and time again is his book called The Pastor. And he tells this story in his book. He tells about how that when he was young and in seminary, uh, he and other fellow seminarians would gather in the apartment of Dr. George Buttrick, who is, he's been called um, one of the most influential preachers in America and in England. He was the pastor, the minister at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in Manhattan from, I don't know, I think the 50s through the 90s. He was the professor of preaching. I want you to understand this man. This is like the ruler of the Pharisees, right, in terms of status and education. He was the, Dr. Buttrick was the professor of preaching at Vanderbilt and Harvard. He edited a Bible commentary and a dictionary. This guy was a big deal. And so when Eugene Peterson was a young seminarian, uh, probably, I don't know, 19, 20, I don't know, he would gather with other seminary students on a Sunday evening after church, back when they had church on Sunday nights. He would go and gather in Dr. Buttrick's apartment, and they would sit on the floor, and Dr. Dr. Buttrick would um, take off his suit coat and put on his slippers and a sweater, and they would just sit, and, and Dr. Buttrick would tend the lambs. He would feed the lambs. He, he would just pour into them wisdom. And he would allow a space and time for them to ask anything they wanted to ask, and he would just answer their questions. Well, one of the questions on one of those meetings was this. One of the seminary students asked, what is the most important thing you do in preparing to preach each Sunday? And this was Dr. Buttrick's answer. Besides the obvious prayer, right? That's first and foremost. See, I would have thought he would have said, well, you know, I use the Strong's Concordance and the Vine's expository uh, commentary. And I, you know, I study and I put six hours into sermon preparation and I do my research and I'm well read. No, this is how he answered. And I quote, For two hours every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon... I walk through the neighborhood and make home visits. There is no way that I can preach the gospel to these people if I don't know how they are living, what they are thinking and talking about. Preaching is proclamation, God's word revealed in Jesus. But only when it gets embedded in conversation in a listening ear and responding tongue, does it become gospel? I want to read that sentence again. Preaching is proclamation, God's word revealed in Jesus, but only when it gets embedded in conversation, 
in a listening ear and responding tongue does it become gospel. Eugene Peterson goes on to say, I happened to know something about this neighborhood that was part of this pastor's sermon preparation. Most of my basketball players lived in this neighborhood of apartment houses and brownstones. This was not the affluent or prestigious part of the city that provided a goodly number of worshipers each Sunday. This was the neighborhood east of Madison Avenue toward the East River of middle or lower class working people. I later learned that Dr. Dr. Buttrick didn't drive a car. Whether he had never learned to drive or simply chose not to, I never knew. What I did know is that when he, was, when he was working on his sermon, he did not select the rich or influential to listen to. But the people within walking distance in the neighborhood, a detail that later entered my pastoral imagination. I could ask that same question, phrased a little differently, to each one of us. Dear church, dear family members, what is the, port, what is the most important thing you do to cultivate a sense of purpose and combat depression and or discouragement? Because the answer is the same. You see, what if our built-in cure for depression, for discouragement, for loneliness, for isolation, what if our built-in cure was reaching out to those who experience the same thing? What if we could become a vibrant community of life givers who would say, you know what? Let's feed life into each other. You're alone and I'm alone. Let's start getting together once a week for lunch. I'd love to do this Bible study. Who would like to come and join me? Who is alone? Because I'm alone. And you know what? But this starts with vulnerability and being, being vulnerable and transparent and being able to say, I have a need. I know you have a need. Let's start breathing life into each other and nourishing each other. Because we're all sheep. I mean, he's the shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. So what if we started feeding each other the nourishment of fellowship and time? I want you to see this morning that what we have before us as a local body of Christ, part of, as part of the body of Christ in a local church family, I want you to see that what we have right now is the biggest gold mine of opportunity you've po possibly not realized. Because there are some here, I know, I believe, that after hearing this today, God will put it on your heart to say, I do love Jesus, like Peter said, and I want to start showing Jesus my love for him. I want to start tending lambs and feeding sheep 
feeding lambs and tending sheep. Because I know there is a joy that will be felt immediately through that blessing of service and sacrificial giving of my time. I'll never forget Eleanor, dear Eleanor. Maybe some of you've met her. Last fall, her first Sunday here. She's a brand new visitor, never walked in this place before. None of us knew her. I made an announcement that someone in this congregation was in hospice care and in need of company. She comes up to me right after the service. I'll go visit. And she was there faithfully every week, bringing meals, reading, singing hymns, reading scriptures. That's tending sheep, tending lambs, feeding sheep. And don't you know there was so much joy that returned, that was given in return to Eleanor. Ephesians 4.11 says, this is Ephesians 4.11. It's talking about why God puts ministers in the church, ministers of different types. This is speaking of the fivefold ministry, what we call that. It says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And why does he do this? Why does he give some to be pastors? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Did you hear that? Pastors are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Remember, I've said this many times, preached on it. Every Christian, a minister. You're a Christian, you're a minister. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying means building up. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, this is symbolic of the body of Christ, Jesus' body, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, that's immature, spiritually immature, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Do you know why Christians, do you know why people in the church get tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine? They're not out there tending sheep, feeding lambs. And so they're feasting on a lot of knowledge that, that gets clogged up in their spirit and causes confusion when God has, has ordained that we as his hands and feet go out and live the, the expression of Jesus Christ and let this love cycle through us. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself and love. If you want to look at a picture of the early church in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42, this is what it looks like. And I want us to look at this and ask ourselves, are we there? Is this who we want to be? It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine 
and fellowship. Notice all the parts of a vibrant church, doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship, this word means close association, open, transparent, vulnerable relationship with each other. Doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Breaking of bread can be meals or communion, shared meals together. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. See, we all want the doctrine and the wonders and signs. Like that's two broad categories of churches. You've got the doctrine emphasizing churches and then you've got the signs and wonders emphasizing churches. But what else was a part of this? It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. No, it's not saying we should start living in a commune and sell all our stuff. It's just saying they tended sheep. They cared for one another. They were there for one another in extraordinarily sacrificial ways. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, there's the unity, and breaking bread from house to house. Do you see that? Sharing meals in homes was a very important and fundamental part of the early church. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Simplicity of heart. Nothing about this is for show, and nothing about this is out of pressure or guilt or obligation. Oh, no, that's the wrong spirit. This is liberty and joy. This is opportunity. And the Lord added, oh, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know what kind of growth that is? That's called conversion growth. That's where a church grows in number because people are actually being converted. They're coming in from nowhere and they're finding Jesus. That's very different from the common transfer growth that we experience in the United States. The Lord added to the church those who were being saved. And so... What I did this week, after hearing what Frank said last week and just pondering this all week, sitting before the Lord with this knowledge, I got out our church directory and I started doing some WCC demographics. And what I found was that right now, in this current pandemic state, I found that 50% of our congregation is currently in need of reaching out. This includes people who live in solitary isolation and aloneness, people who are physically alone. This includes others who may not live alone but have fallen through the cracks. We haven't seen them for a long time. This includes, this past year, we had several new widows and a widower in our congregation. We have a few. This includes those who are homebound because they are caregivers and those recovering from injury or surgery. That means that right now we've got 50% attendance. And I mean, that's good. I mean, God's been good. Can you imagine what it's going to look like when everyone comes back? So God's been good. 
we have experienced growth this past year, and it's all to the glory of God. But I, I just went through our directory, and I thought, wow, 50% of us, half of us, are in a place right now where they need a phone call or a visit or a postcard, some kind of sheep tending that lets them know we love you, we care about you, we miss you, we haven't forgotten you. And by the way, what do you need? Saturday, I had a goal. I was so inspired by reading this passage by Peterson. Again, I read it several times. I was so inspired by that that I thought, I'm going to be like Dr. Buttrick. I'm not going to prepare a sermon on paper. I'm going to go out and tend sheep. I, I had this list in front of me of this, of this 50% I'm talking about, and I decided I was going to spend the whole weekend visiting these people. <laughs> From my heart, I mean, not just some experiment, not for the sermon. I mean, I really, this is a need. Well, I got to one. I got to one house. <laughs> because family at home and everything else. But I had such an amazing, enjoyable time at this house over two hours. I was so blessed. I got some health information that I needed I learned things about this amazing couple that we haven't seen for a while. I learned that Bev is an amazing artist. I had no idea she was such an artist. We had such a good time for two hours. And at the end, before I prayed with them and left, I said, how can we as a church take better care of you? Because you see, I found out that Bev had shoveled her car with a broken wrist. And so I thought maybe, you know, they'd say, you know, we need help with shoveling or whatever. And you know what Dave said? Without missing a beat, he said, this visit has just been fantastic. See, so many times when God reminds us, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, you and I, I know I'm one of you, we go into it like this. Oh, I don't have time for this. I'm so busy and I've got this and this and that. You know, and, and it's, it feels like drudgery even though I love this couple, they're wonderful. But it just sometimes can feel like inconvenience. But I'm telling you, every single time I go into those situations of sheep tending and lamb feeding, I come out skipping, like flying, like my feet aren't even on the ground. I'm telling you, there's a payback right now. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want joy beyond measure, start feeding lambs and tending sheep. Let's take care of each other.
This is not burdensome. Jesus said in, or John said in 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you come under Jesus' yoke and you yoke, you partner with him and you go where he asks you to go and do what he asks you to do, it feels light and easy. I am confident and excited about the possibilities that lie ahead of us as a church. I believe this year, this spring, that this 50% of the currently unseen among us, the invisible, the forgotten, neglected, and, you know, it's, it, it happens everywhere. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. It just, but I know God is going to equip us with the heart to start feeding sheep and tending, tending lambs. And so, Will you join me? Can we care for each other as a church family? I mean, yes, I know we can, and I know we will. I'll just say something honestly. I think I'm going to say this as I close. <laughs> I was awake, I think, about 1.30 this morning. And I knew I was going to be sharing this message. And I believe the enemy was really trying to attack this because he hates family. He always does, any kind of family. Satan hates family, most especially church family because church family helps the natural family. I mean, that's what we're here for, you know. And so I, I felt this... I like this tightness in, in my chest. I, I just, and it was like the enemy was lying to me, saying, this is all on you, and you're never going to be able to reach everyone, and you should give up. And already this morning, I can tell you, <laughs> since walking into this building, God has assured me that he is raising up people who love him and will demonstrate that love by tending for each other. I know that. I know that. I'm assured of that. So thank you. And by the way, thank you already because you guys are awesome. I've been reading, with all these statistics, I've been reading church statistics. How many churches? It's predicted that 20% of American churches will close within the next 18 months. Many already have because of the pandemic. Not us. You guys are amazing. Like the statistics about pastors leaving the ministry most before five years are over? No. You guys are amazing. And so I want to thank you. I brag about you guys all the time. I do. 
I tell people all the time, this is the most wonderful people I have ever had the privilege of working with and knowing. So thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And yes, like Peter, we want to follow you to the ends of the earth. We want to lay down our lives for you. We do love you, Jesus. Would you show each of us how, according to our unique abilities and the time that we have, even as we prioritize our own families, would you show each one of us how we can care for each other and this family so that we can be that vibrant New Testament community of believers? We thank you that you are adding to the church those who are being saved. We thank you and praise you for the growth this year. You are amazing beyond our wildest expectations and dreams. And we give you all the glory. We praise you and we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would show each one of us this week. Put lambs and sheep in front of our faces this week. Put them there. Put their faces there. And give us the courage to reach out and start feeding and nourishing, nourishing each other with your life-giving power and your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed. Have a wonderful week.